doubt does affect every single one of us. Just look at the words on the screen right now. Skepticism, distrust, mistrust, suspicion, cynicism, uneasiness, all bad words so far. Misgivings, hesitation, insecurity, vacillation, confusion, uncertainty. And y'all, these aren't words that we made up. These are just words right out of the dictionary as synonyms for the word doubt. And it's true that doubt can be helpful, but this kind of doubt is what creates confusion for you and me. This is, what, this is the kind of doubt that causes you and me to feel unloved in our relationships. This is what causes you to second-guess decisions that you've made in your past. This is what causes you to want out of a marriage that you wanted into so badly. This is what paralyzes us so that we find it difficult to even make basic everyday decisions that move our lives forward. And so doubt easily leaves us apprehensive and insecure. Now in this series, we're particularly interested, as Sherry said, in how this applies and affects our relationship with God. And I know that that many of you, even though you have a general faith in God, you you know, probably grew up in church at some level. Maybe you have an interest in spiritual things, and yet many of you still doubt that you have a personal, saving, eternal relationship with God that guarantees your eternal destiny. But I want you to look at something. Jesus said it doesn't have to be that way. And one of the places where he said that was in John 6, 46, look, 47. Look at what he said. He said, most assuredly, I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now, y'all, it would be difficult just based on English grammar. It would be hard to get a simpler, clearer statement of anything than this. And taken at face value, Jesus said, you can know without a doubt about your eternal destiny. And as we break this verse down, we think there's a couple of reasons that we can know without a doubt. First of all, you'll notice that Jesus started this sentence with the phrase, most assuredly, I say unto you. When Jesus talked this way, he was using the language of guarantee. He was making a promise. He was saying, whatever I'm going to say after this, you can take it to the bank. It's absolutely true as far as Jesus was concerned. And then the second reason we think you can know without a doubt is because this isn't a complicated uh, sentence. It's simple. Jesus didn't complicate it. He said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. And yet for many of us, Assurance has been made incredibly complicated. For some of you, excuse me, it was made complicated by the church that you grew up in. It just always seemed like the church kind of, you know, kept you on the hook. There was always something else you had to do. And it just sort of kept pulling you along and you could never really know for sure. For others of you, you heard teachers who said, oh yeah, eternal life is the gift of God. It can only be received by faith. But if you really believed, and then they pull out this list that's about 10 to 13 things long that you have to do if you really believed. 
And y'all, today, one of the most popular teachers that a lot of people listen to is actually teaching that. He's got 13 things that if you're saved ought to happen to you. And if they don't, you shouldn't be sure if you really have eternal life. For some of you, eternal life and assurance of it is complicated because of the way you're living. You're living a life that you know doesn't match up to what God is like. And so it causes you to wonder, like, could he really love someone like me? And so these complications create doubt for many of us. And yet, as we said last week, doubt does have a good side to it. It can actually be helpful. It can be good for us. And, it, and we, we experience this all the time. I experienced it a few years back. Uh, I, was, I was out hunting, guys. And uh, I made this, uh, one of the biggest deer I'd ever seen, like, came on the field. I think he might be the biggest. And uh, it was like, wow, look at that. You know, he's just bigger than everything else on the field. And I made a questionable decision. And as a result, I didn't get that deer. Well, you know, instead of saying, ah, witty, you ought to change your decision-making process and, you know, be a little bit better next time and stuff like that, I blamed it on my gun, right? I mean, like... What you got to do. And so I went out and I got me a bigger and a better gun. And you might guess it was also a more expensive gun, you know. And all the time I'm doing this, and I did it in a hurry, by the way. All the time I'm doing this, there was something sitting on my shoulder here, like that little voice saying, Witty, this is dumb. Witty, this is dumb. But do you think I listened? Of course not. But it sure would have been good if I'd have listened because doubt was trying to help me at that point, and sometimes doubt does that. If I'd have listened, when I sold the gun later, because it really wasn't gooder and better, it would have saved me hundreds of dollars. Doubt can be a good thing. And in the same way, I want us to turn our doubts about our relationship with God, I want us to turn those into a good thing in this series. And the way we're doing that is we're looking at three conversations that Jesus had with different people in the Gospel of John who had doubts about him. And we're looking at what he said to them so that they could know without a doubt that they have a personal relationship with God that guarantees their eternal destiny. Now, last week, we looked at the conversation between Jesus and a friend of his named Martha. Martha had a tragedy in her life. Her brother died when he really probably prematurely. And so we saw that tragedy sometimes causes us to doubt God because when tragedy happens, we often ask the question, where was God in my tragedy? Why didn't he show up? Did he know about it? If he knew about it and didn't do anything, is he really God? And so in tragedy, what happens is, is we often kind of change positions with God and we take on the role of God and tell him what to do in our tragedy. And so tragedy can cause doubt when God doesn't act the way we want him to. But this week, we want to see that there's another um, common thing that causes doubt in our lives. And this other thing uh, we want to see this week is personal dysfunction. Okay, so have you ever wondered how your life got in a mess? Maybe you're not in a mess right now, but when you were, you were like, how did I get there? How did I get into so much debt that I'm not free to pursue my dreams? How did I get into this marriage? 
Like, what was I thinking when I said yes? Why won't my adult children speak to me? How did I get my third DUI? Why am I so uncertain about where my life is headed? Why can't I hold down a job? A dysfunctional life can cause you and me to doubt that God really cares about us enough to get involved with us. And for people who are like that, we often think of God as being distant. He feels far away from us. We assume that he's probably against us because he doesn't get involved and help us. And we might even assume that he doesn't want to give anything to us. He just wants something from us. But today, I want us to see that when we're certain about eternal life, it clarifies the dysfunction in this life. And I want to show you how this worked in, the, in, a, in a conversation, the life of a woman, a conversation that Jesus had with her. And in this conversation, we're never even told her name. So you guys know that when Jesus lived and traveled, obviously there's no automobiles, but he went everywhere by foot. I mean, he just walked everywhere that he went. And on one particular occasion, we're told that Jesus was headed back home to northern Palestine in the area of Galilee where he was raised, and he was leaving from southern Palestine. And so he took the shortest route possible, and it took him through a region right in the middle of the country called Samaria. Now, on this particular occasion, Jesus was with his 12 disciples, and they had walked all morning long, and around noontime, they got to a little village by the name of Sychar in Samaria. And so the disciples, since they'd been walking all that time, they went into the village to buy food, and Jesus stayed at the well on the edge of town. And while he was there waiting for his disciples to return, a woman came to the well at noontime to draw water. And what you need to know is, is that this was not normal behavior. Ladies, what they would do is they would draw water twice a day. They would get it early in the morning so that they would have water at the house for all day long for just all the things they were gonna do you know, during the day. And then they would go back in the evening to get water for you know, baths in the evening, to cook dinner with, things like that. And so they would go twice a day, early in the morning and late in the evening. But this woman, she came in the middle of the day when the sun was the hottest because she knew nobody else would be there. And that gives us a hint that maybe it's because she didn't want to be with anyone else because of the dysfunction of her life. And we actually get a hint and learn about her dysfunction. Because when she came to the well... Jesus asked this woman for a drink. And, um, you know, that seems like a simple enough request. I mean, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us. He just walked all that way. And so he asked her for a drink, but it seems like a really big deal to this woman. I want you to look at how she responded to Jesus. She said, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink. Now, when I see something like that, my first question is, is like, whoa, why was she so sensitive about Jesus just asking her for a drink of water? I mean, it seems like a simple enough request. 
But in the culture of that day, men and women had very little social public interaction with each other. In fact, a man would almost never talk to a woman unless it was his own wife. They were just very conservative in that way. Not only that, but as she mentioned, Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along with each other. And there were a lot of historical reasons for that. And so this lady, whenever Jesus spoke to her in private with no one else around, she was a little bit shocked, but she was immediately on alert because she thought that Jesus was about to proposition her. You say, how do you know that? Well, I know because John, who wrote this for us, was one of the 12 disciples, and when he and the other 11 came back from town where they'd been buying food and they saw Jesus speaking to her privately, John wrote that they all wondered, what in the world is he doing? What does he want with this woman? But nobody dared ask him. This was very unusual behavior. And whatever you think about that, one thing is for sure. This lady had a pattern of needing a guy. She had to have a guy for her life to work. And we learn uh, how this worked out. You see, as Jesus and this woman talk to each other, turns out this lady has been married five times and now those marriages haven't worked, and so she's living with the guy she's with right now. And we don't know why the marriage didn't work. Maybe uh, she just had this, you know, habit of marrying useless guys. Or maybe she was just hard to live with. I mean, you know, we all kind of know that there's a little bit of that in the mix, right? And maybe that's what happened to them. And she just couldn't make those, they couldn't make their marriages work. But she's given up on marriage, and now she's just living with the sixth dude. And even in our culture, which is a lot more permissive than theirs, this is a little bit over the top. And so this lady had a pattern for needing a guy. And you know what? We can all identify with her at this point. We all have patterns in our lives that create dysfunction in our lives. The most common patterns are addictions, multiple sexual relationships, and accomplishments. And we, we go to these things, we do these things in order to try to overcome the pain in our life, to try and make meaning out of our life, and we do them to try to quench the thirst in our life, even though we can't always quite explain what the thirst is. And you know as well as I do, no matter how much you devote to your addictions, no matter how many relationships you have, and no matter how much you accomplish, the thirst never quite goes away. And this is what had happened to this lady as well. She's just like us. But on this day, Jesus offered her a different solution for her dysfunction. Here's what he said. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, y'all, this is the response that Jesus made to her very caustic question. What are you doing asking me for a drink? This is what he said to her. 
And this verse is full of truths that affect our relationship to God and our eternal destiny. And uh, it starts with the use of living water. This was a metaphor that Jesus used on this day. It was perfectly appropriate. He was at a well. She'd come to get water. He was asking for water. So he used this metaphor called living water. And he told her, he said, you know, this, this water I have, if you knew what it was, you would have asked me and I would give you living water. And this was a metaphor for her personal relationship with God that could guarantee her eternal destiny. And so I want to point out three things about this living water and the effect that it has on you and me for the dysfunction in our lives and also for our eternal destiny. The first thing is that it's a gift from God. This is what Jesus said. He said, if you knew the gift of God. Now, y'all, it is so important for us to understand this and not rush by this. Most of us have come to think that a relationship with God is conditional. You either have to earn it by being a religious person or keep it by being a good person. But I want to point out to you in this verse that Jesus said nothing like this. And if ever he had wanted to make eternal life and a relationship with him conditional, he would have done it with this lady. She's on her sixth man. I mean, it wouldn't, you couldn't get any easier. Like, hey, honey, if you want eternal life, you can't keep marrying and you can't keep cohabitating with this sixth guy. But notice that Jesus doesn't even broach the subject with her. He doesn't say anything about it. He simply says, if you knew the gift of God. And instead of broaching this subject, he's told her that a relationship with God is a gift and that it is free to anyone who wants it. And this is because God's grace cannot be earned and his love cannot be be lost. Now, honestly, if you stop and think about it, and you should be critical of what Jesus said, let's be critical. It sounds too good to be true. And usually when something sounds too good to be true, it's not true, right? This just sounds too good to be true. You want eternal life? It's free. It's a gift. But if you think about it, it really can't be any other way. Because to have earned eternal life she would have from God, she would have had to have been as good as God. And if you have to be good to get it, think about it, you have to be better to keep it. And this is why it is often said that good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. Jesus died on the cross for you and me to pay for our sin so that we could be forgiven, enter into a relationship with God that guarantees our eternal destiny. And it's free because it's already been paid for by Jesus. You don't have to pay again. He already paid for it with his life. Of course, this woman knew nothing about any of this. And that's why Jesus started by saying, if you knew the gift of God. 
Let me ask you, do you realize that a relationship with God that guarantees your eternal destiny cannot be earned by you? It is a gift that only he can give. Second thing we need to notice about this living water is that Jesus said, since it's a gift, all you have to do to get it is ask Jesus for it. Look at what he said. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, you would have asked him and he would have given you. You would have asked him. Now, this must have been surprising news to this woman. Can you imagine how many of those six husbands or five husbands and boyfriend had said, oh, just ask me. They say it, don't they, girls? Oh, just ask me. I can give you whatever you want. This woman had never met a man. I mean, she was 0 for 6. She'd never met a man who could give her what she wanted or needed. She'd never met a man who could quench her thirst. And her response to Jesus shows us that she doesn't think he can give it either. Look at what she said. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? And the implication of her question is, you're not greater. You're just an ordinary dude. You're just like every other guy that I've ever met. You want to proposition me. You want the same thing they all want. You don't want to give me anything. You're just like every other man. Y'all want to tell you something. One thing that is absolutely true in the New Testament is that Jesus is no ordinary man. A little later in the conversation, after talking longer, this woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus responded to her statement by saying, I who speak to you am he. Y'all, that is a, a phenomenal statement on Jesus' part. It's astounding. Because 600 years earlier, before this conversation, the prophet Daniel had prophesied that the Messiah would come and that he would save the people from their sins. And the people of Jesus' day could do the math. They knew that it was time for the Messiah to show up. They expected the Christ to come. They were all looking for him. This woman was looking for him. And so she says, hey, I've heard that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us, just like you're trying to do with me. And then Jesus says to you, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm him right here, 600 years fulfilled today before your very eyes. Jesus claimed things, don't miss this, Jesus claimed things that nobody else can claim. Jesus claimed, for example, in John 14, 6, that he is the only exclusive way to God. That if you want to get to him, you have to go through Jesus. Jesus claimed that. Jesus claimed that he could guarantee a relationship with God. And the reason he made those two claims, among others, was because he claimed in John chapter 10 to be God. 
And so, y'all, you and I have to decide what this woman had to decide. I just met this guy. Do I really believe he is who he claims to be? Could he really be the savior of the world? Could he really quench my thirst? Can I trust him with this life and trust him for the next life? And Jesus said, if you want your thirst quenched, if you want eternal life, if you want an unending relationship with God and you believe that he can give it to you, just ask. It's a gift. Just ask him for it. But there's a third truth that I also want us to see about living water. And to be quite honest, most of us, this is the one we just absolutely don't understand. We don't get it. And it's really why we're doing this series. It's what it's all about. The third truth is this. Jesus told this woman, one drink of the water I offer permanently quenches your thirst. One drink. Look at what he said. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what do springs of water do? They just keep flowing and flowing and flowing. And so Jesus says the water he gives becomes a water welling up to eternal life. And y'all, quite honestly, this is where the whole thing gets complicated for most of us. Many of you have never heard this, or you've never understood it, or you've heard it, and you just don't believe it. Because many of us have been taught that to get and keep eternal life, there are conditions that we must meet. There are religious things that we must do. And most of you have been taught things like you have to be baptized, you have to take communion, you have to acquire biblical knowledge. You have to go to confession. You have to get married in the church. You can't drink alcohol. There's no cohabitating like this woman was doing, etc., etc. The lists are long. And that's what most of you have been taught. Now, I want to say that at City Church, we believe in all these things. We believe baptism is important for you and me to make an open declaration to other people that we have believed in Jesus. We believe that uh, communion is good for us because it causes us to, re to, be re to be reminded that Jesus died for us. We believe confession is good for the soul. Psychologists tell us that it is. And we know that it's important and necessary for good relationships. We believe in marriage that honors God. We think it's better for you. We talk about marriage a lot. We have a whole program on Wednesday night for marriage. And we're certain that it helps build stronger societies. We believe drinking should be in moderation. And we believe it's important to read the word of God for your own spiritual growth. But I want you to notice, do not miss it. Jesus said nothing about any of these things in order to enter into a relationship with him that guarantees your eternal destiny. And he said nothing about these things to keep your relationship with him. But what he did say, what he did say in no uncertain terms is that all you must do to have this kind of eternal life is take one 
drink of the living water that he offers. One drink, not five, not 100, not a drink every time you commit a sin, one drink. And let me remind you, if ever, if ever he had wanted to make this conditional on doing good things, he had the perfect example standing right there with him. And he never mentioned it to her. He refused to mention that because one drink permanently guarantees your relationship with him. Y'all, it is an astounding offer. It's really an unbelievable offer. And it's one that only Jesus can make. And so here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm gonna ask you to do something very similar to what we did last week. In just a few minutes, I'm gonna ask all of us to stand and we're all gonna ask him for this living water. Now, even if you're like me, and you asked him decades ago for this living water, I want you to ask him again. Maybe you're a person who walked in here today and you've never heard this message. You don't know anything about this, but as you're listening to me talk, something in you is saying, you ought to take that. You ought to ask for that drink. And you're believing in Jesus right now as I'm talking. Some of you are like on the fence. You don't know. Maybe I asked, I don't remember, I'm not sure. And you wanna make sure, I want to ask him. We're going to do that in just a second. Now, I want to say something about last week, because there's a few people in the room right now who are saying, hey, Witty, I thought you said that if I take one drink, that's all I got to take. And I asked last week, you asked us to stand up, and last week I stood up and said I believe in Jesus and asked him to save me. Wasn't that my drink? Yes, it was. If you're thinking that, I am so proud of you. So it's like, why are you asking me to stand again? Because that's what this series is about. I want us to nail it down. I want you to know for sure that you have believed in Jesus and that you have asked him for the eternal life that only he can give. I don't want you to ever doubt it again. So Mike is gonna put some words on the screen for us, our prayer, and we're gonna say them together. So I wanna invite us to stand, all of us, all across the auditorium. We're gonna do just what we did last week we're gonna say these words together. I'm gonna to lead you, and we're just gonna say them together. Okay, everybody ready? Jesus, deep down, I know that the thirst in my life is due to my sin. I believe you died on the cross as my substitute to pay for all my sin. Right now, I ask you to give me the free gift of eternal life. I'm not going to look for it in myself or another person. I'm not going to look for it in the church. I'm not going to look for it in my own goodness. You said you would give it if I asked for it, and I'm asking. Jesus, I believe you are the Savior. I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So do you know why it's one drink? And not five. It's because that's what Jesus said it was. He didn't just randomly come up with the number one. Whenever you believe in him, there's nothing else. That's it. That's the best it gets. It's the end of the line. And it quenches your thirst. 
Do you know why he didn't set any conditions on it? Because getting a relationship with God and keeping it, it doesn't have anything to do with you and me. It's only if Jesus gives it to you. Y'all, this is all about him and who he is. And this song that we just sang, it must be how that woman felt on that day. Because if you know him, there's no other name like his. That's kind of what baptism's all about. We're baptizing next weekend. Like, why should I get baptized? Because you want to let everybody else know what Jesus has done for you, your family, your friends, those people close to you. So I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to be baptizing next weekend. I would love to baptize you if you've met Jesus in this place. So let's pray together and we'll close our service. Lord, there are just so many who think somehow this relationship with you is conditional and yeah, it's free, but you can lose it. Lord, you just didn't say anything like that. That's not your words. It's not what you believed. You said you could guarantee it. Lord, no one else can give it. Only you, because there's no one else like you. Your name is beautiful above all other names. And so, Lord, we ask you for eternal life, and we believe you when you say you can guarantee it. And everyone said together,